Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This week's episode is brought to you by Pixel Pulp video game, Mothman 1966. Pixel Pulp, I hear you asking. Created by novelist Nico Sarantaris and artist Fernando Martinez Rappel, Pixel Pulps are a fusion of exceptional writing and stunning illustration, inspired by mid-20th century pulp fiction and 80s home computer graphics. And that's what this game delivers. It manages to blend a very creepy, drabble feeling story into a stylized visual novel with choose-your-own-adventure-style interactions, puzzles, cryptids, and grandmas that all come together in a retro-style setting that I totally had a blast with. Mothman 1966. Find it on Steam, Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch. Travelcast, episode 463. The Travelcast is an audio fiction podcast magazine that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Really interesting, creepy story for you folks this week. An original Travelcast story called A Hymn Upon the Lips of the Dead by author Mav Lux. Mav writes strange stories from a house in the desert. He loves black coffee, quiet rain, and floppy cats. Follow him on Twitter at HelloMavLux. So let's jump right in, shall we? Without further ado, we bring you A Hymn Upon the Lips of the Dead by MavLux. I was with her when she died. Underneath that frail shell of pallid, papery skin and tubes coiling into her body, she was still my mother. Her last sound should have been the steady trickle of the morphine drip and a long, long death rattle. She died at 3.28 a.m. At 3.29 a.m., her mouth opened and she began to sing. We skipped the funeral. She didn't cease singing even when they closed the coffin lid and put her in the ground. The soil vibrated with her dirge. There are songs that you never forget from your formative years. The songs you fall in love to. The songs you fuck to. The songs that burrow into your soul and open a wound that can't be closed. My mother's hollow songs swallowed those others up and made me forget every lyric that had ever meant anything to me. Left me as empty as the shell of her body the night she died. I could feel her voice inside me, and I wanted to strip the skin from my body and take a hammer to each of my bones, until they were so broken they could no longer ring with that melody. After I left the gravesite, I went to my usual haunt, Porter's. It was full of obnoxiously drunk senators and their mistresses, and smelled of expensive perfume and expensive sex. Exactly what I needed. Shitty pop music played on the jukebox at a deafening volume, music I would have hated on any other night, But tonight, it was perfect. 
An empty corner table and three shots of bourbon later, I was feeling just warm and stupid enough to call Deborah. It went to voicemail immediately, and I disconnected without leaving a message. I downed one more shot for the road, paid my tab, and stumbled out the door. The stars were veiled behind low gray clouds and a lazy rain that misted up my glasses, blurring my vision further. I made it home and collapsed into my bed. I awoke to my phone vibrating. Someone from the hospital recorded her, my brother said. Uploaded the whole thing to YouTube. Fuck, a rude awakening if ever there was one. Meet me at Borders. I sent a DMCA takedown notice, my brother told me over a beer. Not sure it'll do any good. How clear was the audio? Clear enough to hear every word. Shit. My phone was blowing up with texts and calls from Deb. I thumbed the power button. Dare I ask how many hits? You don't want to know. Tell me. He took a shot and swallowed hard. Two million in climbing. Fuck. Her death should have been a weight off my shoulders. I mean, they can't arrest you, right? He asked. Sure they can. But it won't stick. The testimony of a dead woman can't possibly be admissible in court. Besides, he said, all that shit she's saying, it's not true. He didn't phrase it like a question, but I knew that it was. He stared through me with the cold silver of our mother. Right, David? I said nothing. Fuck, seriously? It doesn't matter, I said. Doesn't matter? Jesus, I can barely look at you, man. You've only heard one side of the story. We need to get you out of the city. Let's go up to the cabin. We can figure this shit out from there. I can't. I have to be on the Senate floor for an overnight hearing in two hours. That doesn't matter anymore. Go home, pack and meet up at my place. I walked into my house to find Deborah lazing on the couch, puffing a cigarette, the prettiest picture of patience. I knew her better than anyone, and wrapped up in all that beauty was a woman that got off on a perverse need to wreck my life, even three years after our divorce. I was sure I had locked the door, but she played her part of a slimy DA well and had probably picked the lock. You stupid fuck, she said. You dumb motherfucker. I don't have time for your shit, Deb. You've got time, she said. That's when I saw the pistol in her hand, the same one I'd purchased for her back when she was trying the DeFalco case in 97. She'd said carrying it made her feel safe. Even after DeFalco sucked down a lethal cocktail in a very public execution, she continued to carry it with her. If you think I'd show my face around here without this, you're fucking crazy, she said. What the fuck, Deb? I'm not going down with you for this. You're gonna have to give me a little more to go on. Your dead mother said my name, David. Shit. I had no idea. Of course you didn't. Spotless as a fucking lamb as always, David. Dumb as a fucking goat to boot. Put that gun away and get out. Have you even watched the video? I was there. I heard it. I made a beeline for the bedroom. She followed as I grabbed a suitcase and shoved clothes into it. Where are you going? She asked. The cabin. This is what you always do. You run away. I expect your brother's going with you. I didn't bother lying to her. She knew me too well. You need to deal with this. I'll figure it out from there. No, you'll get drunk and pass out and your brother will get another DUI. Oh, while I'm stuck down here covering for your ass again. I flashed her the old dopey mea culpa grin that she used to have trouble resisting. That was a long time ago. She raised the gun to my head. And what if I don't bail your ass out this time? Hell, I'm not even sure it's possible. I pushed past Deborah and back down the hall. Come with me then, I said. We'll go up together. We can figure this out. 
Her lips parted to say something, what I hoped would be a yes, but then there was a pounding at the door. Detective Watterson was waiting on the other side when I opened it. Deborah scrambled out of sight, and there I stood with my suitcase, looking guilty as hell. Might as well have been holding my dick in my hands. Senator, he said, I need you to come with me. I had no choice and saw no reason to argue with the man. I was between two people who hated me for very different reasons, and both of them armed. He was the last person whose bad side I wanted to be on. How's Deborah? he asked as he drove me to the station. I should be asking you the same thing. Hey, now, she fucked us both over. We both lost that one. Yeah, but she was my wife. See, now that's the problem with the way we think. She was never ours to begin with. It took losing her to make me realize that. It's the opposite of everything I was told growing up. I'd imagine it's the same for you. Spare me, I said. But I knew he was right. I'd never understood what Deb saw in that slimy fuck. He was a detective straight out of a Thursday night police procedural. Tall and gangling, short-cropped hair, a shitty fucking cop stash. Deborah hated facial hair, so her leaving me for him never made any sense. The truth is, it was just too painful to dig into the reasons why. Watterson was courteous enough to take me through the back entrance so nobody saw us. He dropped me off at his office and returned a moment later with a cup of coffee that tasted like a mouthful of dirt. First, this is off the record. Second, all our history. He paused and chose his words carefully. I want to leave that in the past. I know you won't believe me, but I'm on your side. I don't believe what I've seen or heard in that video. Special effects are cheap these days. My nephew's a whiz at him. Shoots his own movies and does his own effects. Looks real to my old eyes. And don't even get me started on that deepfake shit. But I do have questions for you. Your mom died on September 29th. I nodded. I would say I'm sorry for your loss, but from what Deb told me... He realized what he was saying and stammered an apology. It's okay. You left the hospital pretty quick after she died. Another non-question. He was good at that. I took a sip of coffee. It burned all the way down to my jackhammering heart. I was grieving. Where'd you go? A bar. Can't blame you. He nodded in understanding. Which one? Porter's on 5th. I'm a regular. You can ask. They know me. I hate to ask you this, but... Before you left, after your mother died, did you see anything? The fluorescent lights above us buzzed noisily, like flies that couldn't be swatted away. You're asking if I saw my mother come back to life. He shook his head before finally asking. I know it sounds crazy, but I have to ask. Did she sing? I was sure he could hear the whine of hot blood pumping through my veins. No, I said. Whatever that video shows, I wasn't there for it. Great. Uh, I want to get ahead of this before it spins out of control. And it will. Do you or your family have any enemies? Anyone who'd make something like this? I'm in politics. I have more enemies than friends. Okay. I'm not going to hold you here, but I'll be in touch. Strongly advise you not leave the county. Watterson was kind enough to drive me home. By the time we got to the street, there were half a dozen news vans parked outside. Fuck. Take me to Deb's, I said. Really? He couldn't hide the bitterness in his voice. Yes. He dropped me off at her apartment. Deborah opened the door before I even reached it. The gun was still firmly in her hand. Turn around, she said. Go to the car. I complied. After sixteen years of marriage, I knew it was wise to do as she said when her face was that particular shade of red and her curls were that frazzled. Never mind the fucking gun. You saw Watterson, she said. Yep. He doesn't know what I know. 
She pushed me into the passenger seat of her Escalade. What do you know? I asked. She started the engine and drove. You know what? My offer still stands. Let's get out of here. We don't need to go to the cabin. We don't even need to tell my brother. I can get us out of the country. We can board a plane and go somewhere tropical like we always talked about. Start over. Starting over meant one of us would have to admit we fucked up. The inability to admit that either of us were ever wrong is what had killed our marriage in the first place. But now I knew that I was maybe just a little more wrong than she was. I knew it because I'd dragged her into this whole mess of my life. I made her complicit, and the world would soon find out. David, they're exhuming her body in the morning. They're going to press charges. My boss called to warn me as a professional courtesy. It's all over. They don't have anything. Don't be a fucking idiot. You know how this works, how little they need. She was right. I knew. She stopped the car. We'd arrived. Get out of the car, Deborah said. I got out. Stop pointing the gun at me. She re-leveled it at my chest, as if to say fuck you, and walked to the back of the vehicle, opening the trunk. Grab it, she said. The contents of the trunk told me I wouldn't be going up to the cabin after all. Somehow I felt relieved at this prospect. I picked up the shovel. Deborah pressed the pistol to the small of my back, and we walked into the copse of trees that led into the woods. She wasn't dressed for a hike, still wearing her dark political power suit and Gucci-style pumps. Thick tresses of branches grasped at us as we walked deeper into the woods. She tripped on a half-hidden tree root and reached for my arm to steady herself. Upon her touch, I expected old feelings to rise up, but the cold metal of the gun made sure they stayed firmly in the past. You're a real pro, Deb. Fuck you, keep walking, she said. After a quarter mile of slow trudging, I started to believe my own sick inkling about where we were headed. A low drone whispering through the dirty leaves on the ground had been warning me, and the closer we got, the clearer I heard it. The tiny bones in my ears ached at the sound, the buzzing of 10,000 black flies vying for the best pickings of split flesh. So what are we gonna do when we get there? I knew the answer, but part of me hoped that the old Deb was in there somewhere and she would take pity and lie to me. Whatever it takes, New Deb said. They'll be treating it like a crime scene. They're not going to just let us in. I took care of it. True to her word, we were alone when we reached the cemetery. I dropped the shovel and knelt down, put my ear to the fresh, wet earth, and listened. If I'd ever wondered what the apocalypse sounded like, this was it. The chill sound of a flat voice creeping through the veins of the earth until it reached into my skull. I opened my mouth, filling it with foul earth, and imagined how it might taste to ask Deborah to pull the trigger, to let my blood answer my mother's call. Get up and start digging, Deborah said. She pressed the nose of the gun against the back of my head. I cursed and struck the spade into the soft dirt. Drop the gun, Deb. Detective Watterson had joined our throng. Then to me, David, keep digging. I'm not here to stop you. But why the fuck are you here then? Deb asked. There are reports on the news. A woman died in Wisconsin today and started to sing. Two more after that, one in Arizona and one in Ohio. If that's true, then this isn't a hoax, and it's not just an anomaly. I came to hear it for myself. And once you've heard it? Deborah asked. I guess I hadn't thought that far ahead. I don't live in a world where it can be true. With each shovel full of dirt, the song grew louder. Halfway to six feet, I wanted to snatch Deborah's gun and do the deed myself to make it stop. I kept digging, 
eyeing the two guns pointing in my direction. I didn't know how long it took before I hit the casket. My brain felt like an anchor in my skull, and every muscle cried out for relief. I pried open the lid to the coffin, and the crescendo hit me with its full force. I covered my ears and stumbled back. My mother was inside the coffin, singing her dead little heart out. Whatever Deb or Watterson had planned once we made it this far was now lost upon me. There was no need to search for a radio or speaker. My mother's swollen lips parted, the sinews of her jaw tearing as a cluster of insects and worms ruptured forth from the shreds of her mouth. She sang a lament that birthed fresh hate and secret sins into the world. I heard Deborah whimper, I'm not going away for this. I looked up in time to see her put the barrel to her temple and squeeze the trigger. The thick crack of gunshots couldn't drown out my mother's dark canticle. Bits of Deborah's skull and gray matter fell into the grave with me, and before her body hit the ground, Deborah's voice had joined in my mother's ill chorus. Shut them up, goddammit! Watterson screamed down to me. I grabbed the shovel and stabbed it into my mother's neck, but her chant still snaked out through the shattered windpipe. I scrambled out of the grave and passed Watterson, sobbing and cradling Deb. I couldn't be sure, but in due time she would be singing his own dark secrets, ending his life one verse at a time. He looked up to me and opened his mouth to speak, but no words came out. Finally, he asked, is it true? For a long moment, the only sound was their dead voices ringing hot in the chill night air. Are they telling the truth? Does it really matter anymore? I could see it in his eyes. His pupils were infinite black holes that sucked in the old world and shat out the truth of his frightening new one. If their dead bodies gave up our secrets, we were all fucked. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but the day would come when our wickedness and transgressions would loose from the rotting mouths of our mothers and sisters and daughters and lovers. The world we knew was ended, not with a bang, but with a hymn. singing why do we speak like this sometimes why make sentences music why make sentence music have to rhyme why the heck do we create these strange kinds of hells for ourselves when we could just speak or spell but we tell ourselves it's not the same as speaking it's a skill see the words are different notes and that's because i do it well. what the heck is singing why do we speak like this sometimes why make sentences music
And why make sentence music have to rhyme? It's just words. They don't have to be notes. They don't have to be special. Cause they work just fine. Just say the words. Just say the words. Just say the words. Just say the words. Stop being weird. Just say the words. You make it way too hard. Just say the words. Well, I gotta be notes. Just say the words. Ain't no thing is singing. Just say the words. It's just a thing you made up. Just say the words. It's just a thing you made up. Just say the words. It's just a thing you made up. Just say the words. It's just a thing you made up. That was our show. Hope you enjoyed it. The Travelcast was brought to you with the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, which means don't change it or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Write us a review on iTunes, blog about us, tell a friend, don't stop being weird. Also, if you enjoyed our program, you might consider further supporting our Travely endeavors and getting some perks over at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Travelcast. We greatly appreciate it. Special thanks to our kick-ass episode artist, Bo Kyer. Check him out at bokyer.com. Our program this week was brought to you by Cameron Howard, Bo Kyer, Tom Baker, Adam Prott, Charity Helton, Jason Smith, a Pez dispenser with nothing but smaller Pez dispensers in it, all the way down to the Plank Pez dispenser, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you, hey, she fucked us both over. We both lost on that one. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.